Hello, and welcome to the Get Transformed podcast of Transformation Christian Fellowship. We are so excited that you're tuning in, and we hope that you will be empowered and transformed by the Word of God. Romans chapter 5. Romans, the fifth chapter. We're starting a new series entitled tonight, Grace Defined. Grace Defined. The reason why we're starting a new series entitled Grace Defined is for we to gain a proper understanding of the concept of grace. All right? Because so many people, they may talk about grace, but it may not be. um, Sometimes we can overly talk about, we can overextend what grace is and and then say things that it's not. So I want to give you a proper understanding of what the grace of God is, okay? I need us to have the understanding so that we can move in it, in, uh, so that we can move and operate in everything that we do is from a place of grace. Amen? Go with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to read this really quickly. Um, it says, Moreover, the law entered, in, entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace abound much more. Verse 21 says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the New King James Version. Let me give it to you in the New American Standard Bible um, for a reason. Verse 20 says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Verse 21 says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. I want to show you something. All right. So do this with me here. Um, Give you a little idea of what grace is, ladies and gentlemen. Grace derives from a Greek word named cotters. It signifies favor, goodwill, and loving kindness, often defined as God's unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of God. As we proceed in this series, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go even deeper into what that actually is, because it's more than that. And we're going to, by the end of this series, that you'll have a proper definition and understanding of the grace of God. Now, the concept of grace, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is such an amazing concept. It is it is a real amazing concept. It is, however, it is um, yet hard for us to really fathom and understand. Right. The concept of grace is still hard for us to really fully put our minds behind and fully get around that a a, a God will literally extend such grace to those who um, are yet so wayward (laughs) like ourselves. For unbelievers, ladies and gentlemen, it is a concept that is hard to understand. And for the believer, it is a concept that we're still trying to grasp. We're trying to still figure out this thing called grace. One of the things I like from a a scholar, Jay Gresham, uh, mentioned, said that the very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God. All right. So the very core of the word of God is is built around God's grace to man. Everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see the mercy, the grace and the goodness of God that is bestowed upon individuals who do not deserve it. Who from the garden in a perfect state that Adam and Eve were in, even in a perfect state, they still disobeyed because they felt like they were missing something. They felt like they were missing something. 
Ladies and gentlemen, for tonight's teaching, I want to talk to you tonight from the uh, from the subject in this series entitled uh, "The Misconception of Grace." The misconception of grace. There are three misconceptions. There's a little bit more, but I I just wanted to deal with three misconceptions that I see that is a common thread about the grace of God. Are you ready for them? Number one, and I'm gonna tie this into our scripture. And I won't be long. Number one, the one number one misconception is that grace is unconditional. That, my friend, is a myth in a misconception that the grace of God is unconditional because we often confuse the love of God with the grace of God. The love of God, God loves, and that's why he then extends grace. Are you following me? So everyone thinks that the grace of God is unconditional. No, the grace of God comes with a condition. Are you hearing me? The only way you receive the grace of God is by believing on his son, Jesus Christ. There is no way that you can, you cannot, you see, the idea that everyone has grace is not true. Because people will make it seem like, well, God, they'll use this scripture, well, God reigns on the just and the unjust. That's very true. He does. But that's in his mercy. That's in his mercy towards us and his goodness that he looks on the just and the unjust. But the way that you come into the grace of God, though, is through his son, Jesus. It's the only way you come through his son is through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me back this up. The most popular scripture, John 3, 16. Jesus said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever what? Whoever what? Should not what? But have what? So what did he say? You have to do what? Are you hearing me? You have to believe the way that you, the grace of God comes with a condition. The condition is not hard. It's not asking you to do something crazy. All he's saying is believe. Come to God in faith. Gee, God, through his love, he gave. He gave, you, he gave you and extended to us grace through the person of his son. So when you receive the person of his son, you not only find, not only do you have grace now that has been now applied to you, but now you have the peace, now you have peace with God. Is this making sense? So grace, ladies and gentlemen, when you want to think about grace defined, grace comes with a condition. Grace comes with a condition. The condition is you got to receive it by faith. If you want to come unto, if you want to come into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus, you have to believe. You have to believe. God's love is unconditional. His love is what compels you. It can compel you, but you have to then do something in response. You have to believe. I'm not talking about works. This does not have nothing to do with works. This has everything to do with believing in order for you then to receive grace. That's what, that's what this is about. Does that make sense? That you have to first, you got to believe. It ain't a bunch of things. It's not strings attached. All he's asking for you to do is believe. All right, let's, let's, let's build this some more here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. 
Verse 8. All right? Hear me. For by grace you have been what? Saved. All right? So on the screen, through what? And that not of yourselves, it is what? But what he says in the beginning, for grace you have been what? Through faith. The condition is you have to believe. If you're not careful, grace will, if, if they're not careful under wrong teaching and doctrine, it will teach a universal idea. This universal idea that when Jesus died, all man is saved, no matter what happens to them. That's not how it works. The How it works is God, through his love, gave. And out of giving, Jesus has completed everything. So out of completing everything, now the ball is in your court to choose if you're going to believe or not. Because if you didn't believe, then grace would then be applied to you. Are you hearing me? Grace is available to everyone. Are you hearing me? Grace is available to everyone that will what? Believe. Key word is, again, you have to believe. All right, misconception two. Like I said, I'm not going to be long. Misconception two. This is the biggest misconception about grace. You ready for it? That grace excuses sin. That grace, for some reason, we think, see, this is why some people don't like preaching about grace. The reason why some people stray away from teaching about grace is because it has this idea, or some will have the idea, that if you tell them about the true liberation of, uh, of what Jesus did for them, that they just will treat it um, uh, haphazardly. That they will go about just doing whatever now because, they, oh, I got grace, I'm good. All right? And then we go to the fact that you've heard this saying before, oh, the Lord knows my heart. Oh, the Lord know my heart. You just cussed him out. Well, he knows. <laughs> he knows. Oh, she just so fine. You know, the Lord knows my heart. He just so fine. The Lord knows my heart. I'll make it up later, God. <laughs> Everybody has done that at one way or another. Everybody has done that one way or another. And then afterwards, oh, Lord, please help me. Help me, help me Jesus. God, please help me. Everybody's done that. But grace, ladies and gentlemen, is not an excuse. It has the idea that it's an excuse of sin, and it's not. That's a misconception. Jesus did not die to excuse your sin. Jesus died so that you could be dead to sin. Are you hearing me? And raised to a new life in him. The idea, how do you have to understand something about this whole idea here is that now with the grace of God now, that has now removed the excuses. How am I saying this? It's because with Jesus' blood and his death on the cross, hear me and hear me good, he completed the law. And the law was there to show us that we could never match up to it. So what God did is sent his son Jesus became, oh my God, he who knew no sin became sin that we may be made righteous of God. And he took on something and he was perfect even in a fallen world. 
Here's the difference, because in Romans chapter 5 and the later verses, it gets in the difference between the two Adams. There was the first Adam and the second Adam, which is Jesus. Here's the difference between the two. The first Adam was in a state where everything was great. In the second Adam, Jesus, when Jesus, God himself, stepped down in the world, he was around sin, while the first one wasn't. I would beg to differ to you that the temptation would be greater for the second Adam than the first. Woo! Thank you, Holy Spirit. That the first, that the first temptation, the first, the temptation, Adam knew nothing but good. He walked with God. He knew the world in a perfect state. But God himself stepping down in the time comes in a time where sin is all around him. But then here it is where sin abound. Here's what, here's what God did through his son. Where sin may abound, God's grace is so extensive and greater than it that it can abound, but grace abounds even more. Are you seeing where I'm, telling, I'm trying to show you tonight? Grace, ladies and gentlemen, then watch what it does. The grace of God doesn't give us an excuse to sin, gives us, just excuse to sin. No, the grace of God then puts a responsibility on us. Here we go. Romans, the sixth chapter. Let's go here where Paul said it right here. It's right on the screen. It says, what shall we now? Romans six is a continuation of the last parts of Romans five. I just wrote read to you. Right. Hear me. Watch what it says. What shall we say then? Right. What shall we say then? He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? When you continue in sin with the idea that grace would abound, you are, uh, you are, uh, are, are completely uh, in, still in a rebellious state. Because you think, oh, well, God is, you know, I got grace. Only God can judge me. I never really understood that saying with some. Because, okay, if you want God to judge you, I, I just, that's really bad. <laughs> I'd rather take the judgment from people to God. <laughs> My God. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hear me. And here it is. He says, so that we should continue. So this idea is, is that people habitually moving and continuously moving in a place of sin while supposedly being transformed. The idea, ladies and gentlemen, is no. He said, watch this. He says, certainly not. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. No. He said, no. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? What he's saying is that this is right here. Uh, it gives an example, ladies and gentlemen, of what water baptism represents. That when you go down to the water, you're going down from who from uh, and you're shown as a public sign that the old man who you were has now been crucified. And when you rise up from the water, ladies and gentlemen, help me understand. Let me help you understand what water baptism is and what it represents. When you rise up from the water, it is to symbolize that you are now a new person in Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? That when I go down, I'm going down as the old man, raising up in new life. And I'm showing as a public sign that I'm his. 
What he's saying is, is that if I died to sin, how can I continue to practice something that I'm dead to? And listen, here, here is this. Grace is not calling for perfectionism. I want you to be clear with this. It's not saying that you won't fall short of the grace of God, um, but, but it's, it's moving us to a place of, 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 of having our conscious, uh, 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 being conscious to what the new man in Christ and striving to be that. Are you hearing me? To strive to live in the new man. Here he is. He's saying, certainly not. And so verse 3 says, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized unto death? That means that when the grace of God, the grace of God being applied to your life through Jesus Christ, that has now, that has now removed you up from living up to a standard that you would never reach. You and I, no matter what we could do, could live up to the standard of the law. Matter of fact, sin was in the world before the law was given through Moses. The law was a foreshadow of what we were not. And it would foreshadow who Jesus is and what he would do. Are you hearing me? The idea, listen here, again, you are dead in Christ. It does not excuse us. To say, cool, we saved, we got our ticket, man, I'm going to live the way that you want to live. No, that's not, that's not how this works. What he's saying is, what Paul is saying, no, you are dead in, in Christ now. You are dead to sin. Now, you are, now you're living, now you're alive in Christ. Excuse me. You're dead to sin, now you're alive in Christ. And guess what? That died along with it. So now let's live with a new mindset. Let's live in the newness of who we are. Let's live in the newness of that because real the reality is, is the enemies to grace, ladies and gentlemen, is your pride, is your rebellion. That's what can be an enemy to you really living and moving in the place of grace. So it does not excuse and be like, oh, God knows. No, it's not about that. No, it's about I'm in a, it's moving you to a more mature place in Jesus Christ. It's being aware, like, listen, no, it doesn't excuse my behavior. Because that's what that's why a lot of people don't really get with sometimes get with the idea of so-called professing Christians. Because it's like, okay, you professing one thing, but you be like, oh, I got grace. I got grace. But how is that causing someone in the world to come to your life if you're looking just as dim as them? It don't work that way. How can somebody come into your life and you're living and you're living just the way they're doing, but yet you're saying, I profess Jesus, I got grace? Doesn't work like that. Said, no, God forbid that you should do something like that. That we should do something like that. It's moving us to a more accountability. Are you hearing? Let's go to Ephesians. Excuse, excuse me, let's go to Romans chapter. Uh, no, still in Romans chapter 6. We're going to verse 4. I want you to see this, that the grace of God should be a motivator. Because you know the grace that has been applied to you and our life, you should be like, oh, no, I don't want to do that because this is my response. This is my response to what God has done for me. It is a response. How do you respond to the grace of God? How do you respond with it? With righteous living. 
with holy living is making a response. That's my response. Why? Because I knew where God came and found me. And because when I knew where God came and found me, I don't want to live like I was in that state. I don't want to live like that. That's why the flesh in the spirit man is always struggling because the flesh really wants you back. But the spirit man is trying to push you into destiny. But that's what happens when we're caught up into the old flesh man that has to die. Say that flesh has to die. And you got to keep it dead. It got to die. Listen to me. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the what? Newness of life. You see that? That you should walk in what? The newness of life. The newness of life. That we should, Paul said, is exhorting us that no, we should walk in the newness that God has given us. Here it is. Let me give you one last one. I know it's going to mess with your mind. Last misconception I'm giving you and I'm out. That grace is free. That grace is free. Whoo, Pastor B, what are you talking about? I thought it said the free gift. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's free to us, but it costs God. See, you, you, the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen, it came at a price. Listen, it's like this for Christmas. I got free gifts and toys that I didn't pay for. Those free gifts and toys didn't cost me anything. Hallelujah. It didn't cost me nothing. But to my dad and mom, it cost them something to give us those toys. To make our Christmas a white Christmas. on an open fire. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? So while I'm receiving this free stuff, it came at a cost to someone. The grace of God, ladies and gentlemen, comes with an extreme cost that you did not pay for. Oh, my God. Matter of fact, you should have been the one paying for it. It should have been you and me, ladies and gentlemen, sitting up on that tree. The reality is, is that it was, should have been you that was beaten beyond recognition and took on. No, 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 no. That it was, it was meant for you. God's wrath was meant for you and I. But it cost him something. And God will never call you to do something, hallelujah, that he did not do. Hallelujah. So when people talk about, oh, tithing and all of this stuff like that, tithing, it comes from a place of giving out of grace. According to what God has done for us. Not because he needs it, because, because of the expense that it cost him. There is nothing more costly than giving up your only begotten son. What greater love than this? Than for a man to lay down his life. For ones who were, who were friends. And God considered you a friend. Even when Paul said that while we were yet sinners. It said that Christ died for the ungodly. Ladies and gentlemen. 
that this came with a cost. It shot God. It cost him and it cost, oh my God, it cost God his son and it cost Jesus his life. And Jesus took on that cost. You want to know why Jesus never talked about grace? Because it had not been fulfilled until he ascended. That's why he gave, well, who, what better person to give the message of grace to than Paul? What better person to give the grace message to than Paul? Someone who knew the law, who was zealous for keeping the law, that went out and he killed the killed believers because they were a threat to the law. And yet Jesus says, why are you kicking against the goats? He said, why are you persecuting me? Out of that one experience in, 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 in Acts chapter 9, ladies and gentlemen, on a Damascus road, he then, life has changed and is wrecked by grace. That's why in Corinthians, I believe, 15, he says, he said, I am who I am because of the grace of God. And guess what? It cost Jesus and he's inviting you into something that he already paid for. Here's the thing. There's another thing. You can't earn the grace of God. There was nothing you and I could do. If it was something that you and I could do, God would have never had to give his son. God had a plan even before the foundation of the world. That's why he said in the garden, the seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. God didn't come up with that plan. He already had it in him. And he already knew what he would do. That's why when you hear about the account that's made in the book of Genesis about Abraham sacrificing Isaac on, 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 on that mountain, ladies and gentlemen, that was a foreshadow of what God would do to his own son, Jesus. But for Abraham, he withheld his hand. But the Bible tells us that it pleased God to bruise his son. It pleased him. Why? Because he knew the outcome of it. Grace, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Can I even come a little far? Like I said, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't do nothing for it, right? It's already been paid for. And what he's saying, all you got to do is believe. But here's what happens through the work of grace. You see, because here's what Paul really talks about. Grace, justification, and sanctification. Grace is what brings us in. We've been justified through Jesus. And then through that, the work of grace, sanctification, ladies and gentlemen, is being sanctified, set apart for him. Are you hearing me? The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to really great define grace, you need to stop saying, guess what? It's a free gift to you and I, but it cost God. Yeah. It cost him. And with knowing that cost, you respond in a certain way. Yeah. That's what makes you want to live right because of the cost of God. See, when you don't really know what it costs somebody to do something for you, you don't really care about it. 
How many of you knew the cost that you gave something to somebody and then they didn't treat it properly and they broke it? How many of you, and, and if they knew the cost, they may have, they may have wanted to treat it a lot better. They would have wanted to, you know, use it properly. But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, God shows you his cost. He showed us what it cost him. And he's saying, because of that cost, you should respond to me in a way out of, out of gratitude because of what he's done. This is what the grace is. That's what grace is. This is what happens when a people who've been radically changed by grace. You, let me tell you something. It's hard to live like you used to. It becomes very hard. It becomes a struggle to try to go back to old friends, to try to go back to old relationships, to try to live the way that you were before. Why? Because you've been radically changed. The things that you used to find joy and pleasure in, you don't find in it as much anymore. The reason why is because when your life has been, oh my God, radically changed by the grace of God, your response is totally different. Because he changed your life. He changed my life. I can't hang around the same people I used to be around. Matter of fact, it makes me uncomfortable. Why? Because I'm asking myself, why am I here? Why am I doing this? The reality is of the matter is, is that you have to understand when you understand the cost that it costs God. You said, listen, God, I'll give you everything I have. I'll serve you until the day I die. I will let use me until you have no, my God, until I have nothing left in me. Why? It's because this is the least I can do for a God that's given me everything. Oh my God. And let me tell you something in this. Because through his son Jesus, God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And the reality is, is that in entering into this grace, he doesn't even stop blessing because of it. Hallelujah. He doesn't stop doing what he is and doing what he does. Here's what Peter said to us. Peter said to this, he said this to us, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having dead to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, ladies and gentlemen. Not only healed physically, but you were healed emotionally. God healed you. God delivered you. God rescued you. How he did it because he poor in our own sins in his own body ladies and gentlemen and everything uh, the ugly the nasty the no so good parts of you uh, that people don't see Jesus oh my god uh, took it on himself hallelujah there's a song that says crucified laid behind the stone hallelujah you live to die and you were rejected and alone like a rose trampled on the ground he took the cross and he thought of who he thought of you 
Oh my God, help me in this room. He didn't have to do it, but he did it out of his love. He didn't have to do it, but he did it out of his love. He did it out of his grace towards you and I. And that because of that, you should respond. I woke God with worship. You should respond out of loyalty and fidelity and trust in God because you understand what the grace of God has done for you. And if the grace of God hasn't done anything for you, then I know why you'll live the way you'll live. But if you know what God's done for you and you know the radical change that is brought in your life, there is no way in the world you can sit still. Why? Because everybody has a story in this room. I don't care who you are. You got a story. I got a story. Everybody has a story in this room. Everybody knows exactly what you were, what you were doing, and how God has spared you out of his grace. And because of his grace, and because of his mercy, you got no my God, you and I didn't get what we deserve because we really deserve wrath. We really deserve the real wrath of God. But through his son, Jesus, God poured out the wrath of himself on God and he oh my God on Jesus and it pleased him it pleased him because his son was doing the will of his father hallelujah and that's why we worship the way we worship here, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we worship here at TCF the way we do. Why? Because we're radical. Because we've been changed with radical grace. We respond at a radical sense because we had a radical God to give us radical grace to change us. And because of that, I respond out of worship to God because... I've been radically changed. Oh my goodness, look at somebody say, I don't look like what I used to. I don't look like what I used to. For some of you, you probably knew what I looked like and probably knew what I was used to. But guess what, all you can say is what has happened to me since the Lord Jesus has come into my life. What has happened to me since God came and radically transformed my life? I don't look the same, I don't talk the same, I don't handle my business the same way so if you're expecting that then you better go bye-bye because I'm on a new attitude because of what God has done for me what is grace defined ladies and gentlemen when you understand what it's not then you can truly understand what it is and that you'll live your life in response in a way to what the grace of God has done for you. Stay in your feet. Because your life was changed by the grace of God. Thanks for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. We hope that you subscribe so that you can continue to be empowered by the latest podcast. For more information on Transformation Christian Fellowship, visit our website at transformationchristianfellowship.org or download our free mobile app on the App Store or Google Play Store. If you would like to support this ministry, simply text TCF1 to 77977. We thank you for your generosity and for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. And remember, transformation starts here.